So we can see that there are people involved in the roots of the United Nations who all have one world government, socialist, communist backgrounds and agendas that were hidden from the American people. Yes. And how did the UN come about? They all sat down around a table, didn't they? Yes. Creating round tables, which were basically secret societies, and they are the oligarchs that really control the whole global um, affairs. All, everything, the IMF, International Monetary Fund, every tentacle is covering the globe in, in almost all countries. One of the common elements, obviously, is these are men of great wealth, independently wealthy people who wish to impose their rule, their control, and their will upon the entire world. And guess what, Kim? There's one country that stands in the way, isn't there? That is absolutely correct. And if America goes then we are going to enter a dark age for hundreds of years in which the human race will be enslaved to the oligarchs who want to control us. So how did the UN come into being? What happened? How did, how did it occur? Well, when you look at their documents, their, their whole ideology is for a utopian global control. And um, from the, from the uh, research that I've done, I realized that you have the global, the oligarchs who want to ultimately live in a utopian society. And then you, so you have to get rid of the middle class. And you create a workforce development similar to how Hitler did. And then you use the, the lower underclass to, to be the slaves for your utopian society. You know, the, a movie came out um, a couple of years ago called The Hunger Games. And I really didn't want to see it because I knew what it was all about. But I thought, let me, let me go view it anyway. And sure enough, I mean, that pretty much echoes everything uh, that I've read in the United Nations documents. You know, it's funny you mentioned the Hunger Games. Um, when I saw the first movie of the Hunger Games, I came out of the movie theater. I was emotionally drained in tears, and I said to my wife and family, that is Agenda 21, what you have just seen. That is the vision for America that the globalists have. Bingo. Bingo. And, you know, I found it interesting regarding the oligarchs and, and getting global control because basically they just want to flip Genesis 1 on its head. They, uh, the people that are behind it are communist, Marxist, socialist, occultist. And so you take all of that, and it's anti-God. And so you cannot have that opposing power. Um, it, it, it strikes the face of God, because everything God created in this universe, our God-given rights, our God-given liberties, to own land, to be free peoples, um, and by the way, I found it interesting when I was researching the United Nations 2012 conference, their, pay, their, their cover page is noted, are called We the Peoples. So, you know, the devil cannot create, he can only counterfeit. And so they have taken everything God has made and flipped it on its head. 
and they're using it like the Hegelian dialectic to make you think that you know all of their created programs for the environment and culture and women's rights and all these things are good when they're using them to work their dialectic for their ultimate goal. The key here that you are talking about in this in this way is that a common common thread in dictatorships is to replace God with government. Uh, in Japan, obviously, the emperor, he was God to his people. And in Nazi Germany, there was no God except uh, the Nazi party and Hitler. And, and the same thing, of course, in the Soviet Union. If people don't have a God, don't have God to depend on, and don't understand the morality of right and wrong, then they are cast adrift, and their only hope is to hang on to the government as their source of whatever. And that's how it is done. That's why it is so important for one-world government oligarchs to deny religion. That's why there is a uh, vicious battle now to destroy Christianity. Yes, exactly. You hit it on the head. And later in this program, I will actually show you how they have infiltrated the church. Um, it's just incredible to the degree people have no clue. And, into, and I'm so thankful that you're exposing this on your show, allowing me to. Well, Kim Fletter, uh, we've been flirting around with, the, with this, and I, I really still want to get back to the United Nations. Um, Let's talk about the philosophy of the United Nations and how um, how that philosophy how how do they express that philosophy? What are the tools they use to express that ideology? Well, they they create uh, documents, their own charters and their own documents, and then they they use your own government your own agencies, and every one of our presidents has been used to implement policies, executive orders, acts. Acts was another uh, uh, thing that they you know, created through, the, through our legislative system. So you can create an act, and then you can do the bidding of the UN's policies. And uh, basically, everything that we're dealing with as far as what you started out talking about and losing our land rights, all of that is coming through their through our own hand through our own policy and agendas, um, and you know it was interesting when I started researching this. I realized that because we're dealing with the United Nations and the, the deep state that's behind them, there were barriers that needed to fall for the UN to propel and for globalism. And basically, there are uh, six barriers that I came up with. And it's got to do with interdependence and intergovernance. And I want to mention that word intergovernance because there's a lot of buzzwords that the United Nations has in their documents and then we in turn have in our own policy because it's coming from United Nations dictates. And those buzzwords I'm going to be mentioning throughout this conversation, um, but intergovernance or governance is a big word. I want you to take note of that because we are under a republic, a government. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. 
Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything going to be all right this morning. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily regulated or confiscated by the government is the moral and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Folks, that's what it's all about, is it not? We own private property in this country because our founders were smart enough, not just smart enough, we're actually brilliant enough to understand that if individual citizens owned private property, they were free. It was a marked departure from the past for centuries Only kings and nobles and dukes and duchesses owned private property, and everyone else just rented space. They didn't own it. Oh, sure, they owned some hand tools, maybe a donkey or a cart. But the actual ground, the actual land was owned by the nobles. And let me tell you, the peasants paid dearly in terms of rent. In our country, after the War of Independence, our founders understood that The ownership of private property made you free. And to our founders, the totality of one's individual private property was his land, his home, his possessions, the work of his hands, the ideas of his brain, and his life itself. And they enshrined the totality of an individual's personal property in the Constitution. That's a document that was written and designed to protect individual sovereignty through the ownership of private property. And so that's, that's where we started out 230-odd years ago. But unfortunately for us, private property rights have been under a, an assault by those who want to take them away in order to control and rule mankind. The American progressive movement started in earnest about 100 years ago, 1913, 
very bad year for our country, the 16th Amendment, 17th Amendment, and the Federal Reserve Bank. You've heard me talk about that dozens and dozens of times. But over those last hundred years, an assault on individual sovereignty, personal property rights, has been the hallmark of the progressive movement. My guest is Kim Fletter. She is an expert and a speaker on the United Nations, property rights. She's a constitutionalist, a researcher, political and Christian activist. She's a member of North Georgia Patriot Groups, and she is dedicated to protecting U.S. sovereignty, state sovereignty, individual rights, and religious freedom. She is the published author of Love, Life, and the Shadow of Death. And so, Kim Fletter, welcome to Freedom Forum Radio. Thank you, Dr. Dan. I really appreciate you having me on today to expose this this behemoth um, of a conspiracy theory that we're going to uncover today. You know, it's really great to have you here. Uh, and I know that the subject that we are going to be discussing uh, is a subject that we have talked about many, many times. But what I want to do in the course of our interview is put it all together so that everyone gets a picture of the history of this globalist movement and what it means for you. After all, that's what Freedom Forum Radio and Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is all about. What does all this mean for you, the individual liberty, the individual listener? Well, may I start with uh, what, what prompted me uh, to, to get into this? Um, I was just a, a normal citizen, and when um, our president, last president, got in office, I knew we were in big trouble. And um, a man just happened to put in our local newspaper that he was going to be doing a six-month training on the infiltration of communism. And he worked for Pre uh, President Kennedy. He was on his private battle staff, and he began to uncover under a six-month training course every tentacle of our culture and how it had been in infiltrated. And I took that information. I was so um, amazed. I started telling people. And next thing you know, uh, I was invited to do public speaking. And one of the things I learned in that was basically um, how how are they how have they used their technique throughout the decades while Americans were sleeping? Our Constitution has been usurped, and people have no clue to what degree. And one of the things I also learned was the Hegelian uh, dialectic, and that uh, is one of the things they're using to to implement their goals. And basically, uh, you create a crisis, which is a thesis, and then you have an antithesis, and so you have to have a solution to that crisis, which creates a synthesis, and now you have a new norm. So just like with some of the issues that we're seeing in our culture and in our news today, um, the crises are being created to promote um, a solution, and then you have a new consensus because then the people are clamoring for a new law. So anyway, that, that pretty much uh, is what propelled me into this long journey to expose this. Well, it's a very profitable journey in the sense that by your knowledge and by you passing on your knowledge, we are going to educate a large number of people who will listen to us as we discuss how this all came about. You know, the, the people uh, who surrounded our last president, 
always said, never let a crisis go to waste. And that's what the Hegelian dialect is all about. The only difference is they're the ones who create the crisis. And when they create the crisis, then they're right there to try to offer the solution. It's something that really has been going on for many years, isn't it? Where the right and the left are far apart. The left pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes, okay? And then eventually they push a little too far, the right responds, and the left says, okay, we'll back off a little. But they never back off to where they started, do they? No, they don't. And you know, um, Curtis Bowers, who wrote Agenda and then Masters of Deceit, I have viewed both of his videos. They're incredible. And I learned, you know, back in the 60s when so many were pushing back when they had infiltrated our government and also through Hollywood, um, our government, or excuse me, the the groups that were pushing against that, um, because of that push-pull, I believe we would be under communism today. And so I I believe that because of all of the things that are taking place that, that you know, starting with Obama getting in office, that that caused another surge in pushing against. And so I'm so thankful for Curtis Bowers for bringing that to my attention. Well, Curtis Bowers, as you know, has been in this area. He and I lectured together in a number of places in western North Carolina. Uh, He's an incredible intellect, and his DVDs were very, very instructive and very powerful. But, you know, the interesting thing to me is is that we – are all acutely aware of Agenda 21 and everything that has stemmed from Agenda 21, and we date that to approximately 1992 with the Conference of Rio. But in truth, this has been going on for such a long time. I alluded to 1913 and the 16th Amendment, 17th Amendment, and Federal Reserve Bank. But realistically, the League of Nations was the first attempt by the elite the globalist elite, let's call them what they are, the globalist elite, that was their first attempt to try to bring the world under global governance. And that failed, fortunately for us. But it only failed temporarily because they all hit out, didn't they, right after that? They went into the Council of Foreign Relations, didn't they? Yes. And out of the Council of Foreign Relations, we have the, the real monster of our age, which is the United Nations. So, Kim Fletter, let's go into a little history. History is really incredibly important. Uh, Tell us about the history. How did that all come about? Who was involved and how did it happen? Well, in my research, I discovered that Alger Hiss was actually um, our acting secretary. And I'm going to be talking about Rhodes Scholars and going back to the date that you just mentioned, going back a little earlier. But regarding the United Nations, in 1945 – when the charter was formed, Alger Hiss was actually acting secretary general of the UN conference. And he was also a young State Department official. In 1950, five years later, he was named a secret communist along with 15 other key government officials who actually planned the creation of the United Nations. Hiss was also a Council on Foreign Relations member. This is very important to know because a lot of folks don't understand the Council on Foreign Relations. And when you go back to the history, Cecil Rhodes is a name you might want to research. Um, You can connect Cecil Rhodes to the uh, scholarships to the United Nations. Cecil Rhodes was back in the the mid-1800s in South Africa. He was an Oxford undergraduate, and he was taught by John Ruskin, who was inspired by Plato's ideal society. 
Cecil Rhodes, or excuse me, uh, Rhodes was also a founder of the diamond is- industry, De Beers, which acquired Rhodesia and Zambia as British territories. He left vast gold and diamond fortune and instructions for how to use it to bring America back under British rule. His trustees came up with the League of Nations. So there you see the root beginning. He was also a philanthropist, and he set up the Rhodes Scholarship Fund in Oxford, England, and he bequeathed six million pounds to it upon his death. Now, Bill Clinton was the first president who was the first Rhodes Scholar from America, and as well as his cabinet. And there are some success. Their successor organization is the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And their foreign branches include the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations. And they have a sister group called the Trilateral Commission. And that was founded by David Rockefeller and Zibinu, if I'm saying his name right, Brzezinski. His daughter, Micah, you may know on MSNBC's Morning Joe. Zibinu actually advised President Carter and Johnson. I found that to be interesting. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum will return right after this quick break. <laughs> 